Welcome to the Truth and Democracy Coalition's monthly meeting. My name is Rich Procida. I'm the founder of the Truth and Democracy Coalition and the host of the Truth and Democracy podcast. Now, I was contacted by um, Sandea Rani Ja a, a few a month ago or something like that. She has a consulting firm, and somebody contacted me there saying that she wanted to um, come in and speak about her new book and so forth. And so I set it up and everything. And so, and then I drafted some questions. Now, these were not easy questions. These were difficult questions, um, tough questions, I guess. And I sent them to her last week and I didn't get a response. And then um, in the middle of last week, I, I sent her another email saying, asking her to confirm that she would be here. And I didn't get a response. And then just a couple hours ago, I got a message um, saying that she would, I guess we still have people coming in here. So we're going to have to, I don't want to have to tell this over again. But um, that she had blew, blown out her eardrum. She's not going to make it and she's canceling. I don't know if it was the questions that blew out her eardrum. But um, so what I'm planning to do here is I'm planning to pose these questions to you because they are a little long questions and I know all of you have opinions about this issue. And so I'm gonna pose these difficult questions to you and I like, um, and just raise your hand. There's a raise hand feature in the reactions menu. I believe it's in the reactions menu or you can just unmute and, and speak if that's what you prefer to do. Uh, with, but if I get a number of hands up, I like to go up by the hands. Um, I'm not I'm going to be looking at everybody at the time, but I'm going to start one question at a time, and then we can go through that. But be, before we do that, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the Truth and Democracy Coalition and then talk about some future events coming up. So the Truth and Democracy Coalition was formed to build a pro-democracy movement in America. We educate the public about disinformation, teach people to be critical of the propaganda they consume, and provide critical analysis of current events and social issues. We produce media and educational materials, hold seminars and meetings, work with other organizations, and organize events and activities geared toward building a pro-democracy movement in America. The coalition seeks to build communities of people of different faiths and ideologies to defend and promote democracy locally, nationally, and globally. Now, some future on Sunday, May 21st, this year at 2 p no, at noon, at noon on May 21st on Sunday, we welcome Harvard educated, Harvard educated American moral philosopher cultural commentator and essayist, Susan Neiman. Dr. Neiman has written extensively on the juncture between enlightenment, moral philosophy, metaphysics, 
and politics, both for scholarly audiences and the general public. She describes herself as a lifelong leftist and socialist and is an unlikely critic of wokeism. She argues that the tenets of the woke have become anti-theoretical to the traditional values of the left. She currently lives in Germany, where she is the director of the Einstein Forum in Potsdam. Neiman writes in her new book, Left is Not Woke, I'm willing, I'm unwilling to cede the word left or accept the binary suggestion that those who aren't woke must be reactionary. A left-wing critique of those who seem to share the same values might seem to be an instance of narcissism, but it's not small differences that separate me from those who are woke. She adds that the discourse around wokeism is confusing. It evokes emotions that all progressive people share, such as empathy for those who are marginalized and indignation for the oppressed. But those emotions are derailed by a range of theoretical assumptions that ultimately undermine them. So Dr. Neiman will speak to us about her new book, Left is Not Woke. So to register for that, and I'll end up putting these in the chat for you, go to tinyurl slash leftnotwoke. Then on June 4th, 2023, at two o'clock, we will start our monthly Red Pill Men's Group. Men are dying. They're killing themselves with drugs and alcohol and committing suicide at far higher rates than women. They also make up the perpetrators of violence and mass shooters are mostly young men. They are turning to authoritarianism and make up a large portion of far-right extremists and mega activists. Well, what's wrong with men? New studies show that implicit bias is strongest against men. Men are more the subjects of implicit bias than people of color or the poor. Men have become public enemy number one in our culture. They are viewed as dogs and trash, among many other things. The saying, women need a man like a fish needs a bicycle, has become popular among women who no longer need financial support from men. Studies show that women are happier being single and no longer want to love and take care of a man. All of this has a profound effect on men. Pining for the past when they had more authority, men are turning to drugs, alcohol, suicide, and authoritarianism. To so this is for men. This is a men's support group. So to register for, register for this nonpartisan men's support group, go to tinyurl slash redpillmen. Then on June 11, 2020, 23 at 2 p.m., Richard Procida, that's me by the way, an early pro-feminist activist, the author of Social Issues in Global Perspective, Pornography, and the leader of the Truth and Democracy Coalition, will lead a discussion about what's wrong with men and what to do about it. A survivor of severe sexual abuse, he will tell his story, address the problems facing men today, and talk about what needs to happen 
to move men back from the brink and back to sanity. Now let's turn to our discussion. As I was telling everybody, uh, I got an email from Sandea Rani Ja and her consultant, consult, consultation firm asking to be on the show to talk about her new book. And then last week, I sent her um, the questions. I want to give her enough time. I drafted some questions. These are not easy questions. These are not softballs. These are controversial questions. And I want to give her time to come up with some thoughtful answers. And that's why I sent it to her a week in advance. Now, I didn't hear anything from her. So in the middle of last week, I sent her an email asking her to confirm that she would be here. And I didn't hear back from her. And then just a few hours ago, I got an email. She said she blew out her eardrum and thought she was going to feel better by this time, but she's not feeling better, and she canceled. So as I said before, I'm not sure if it's these questions that blew out her eardrum. But um, I want to, what I, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you these questions, and then I, because these are controversial questions, and you all have opinions, and so, and I'd like um, you to answer these questions or make comments or tell us what what you think. So we might as well um, just begin. So, um, well, here's the statement I was going to make here in February. We examined ancestor worship in the ancient world and how it was a system of inequality that denied individual conscience and choice. And Sandea asked us to honor our ancestors and to learn from them. How can we learn from our ancestors without condemning them, our nation, and our entire race of people? Or an entire race of people. Today, divisions around race are escalating. Both sides are organizing around race, religion, or anti-religion, and ideology in a way that is tearing the nation apart. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, are not helping and have in some ways made the problem more acute. Can we learn to treat people of different races and identities with respect, without abusing them with political labels and characterizations that misrepresent and demonize who they are and who we are? Are there political forces seeking to profit from our division? Do our racialized view of violence and the abuse of power really capture the full extent of the problem? So my first question, those were the questions I put in this description. The first question to her was to ask her to tell her about herself and what has brought you here. And you can answer that question as well. And then I asked the second question. I say, you are a minister. She's a Christian minister, and she cites the Bible in her book. And I see that you use scripture throughout your book. And scripture is the story of our ancestors. All scripture of all religions is the stories of people's ancestors. And the history of religion is also the story of our ancestors, because religion dominated people's thinking throughout most of human history and into today. So what 
is the role of scripture and religion in freeing our ancestors, as you say, and in the social justice movement? So I've got a number of questions, there's about eight of them. That's number one and number two, and then the other questions. So I'm wondering if anybody here would like to take a shot at one of those questions. Can you repeat the first question? Well, the first, well, I had the questions in the description, and the first question was just, what brought you to this work? Tell us about yourself. I can answer the first one. What's the first one, yeah. Jeffrey? What brought, so the question is, what brought you here? Yeah. You did. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. <laughs> if, and um, if you don't have an answer to that question, I can move on to the next. And uh, just raise your hand if you um, want to answer these questions. So, yeah, let me look at the next question here. Okay. As I've said before, liberalism is under attack. The right wants to own the libs and the left wants to disown them. Here at the Truth and Democracy Coalition, we are working to rebuild the liberal middle. We are working to counter the divisive propaganda coming from both the right and the left and to defend the constitution and liberal democracy. Now, Sandaya um, is a socialist, so she talks about class consciousness in her book, and I assume that it's also part of the diversity, equity, and inclusion curriculum. But not everyone is a socialist or even anti-capitalist. I myself believe that the fundamental struggle is between authoritarianism and liberal democracy. I believe liberalism is the antidote to fascism, and I don't believe that socialism has ever succeeded in any country in the world. Uh, the social democracies of Northern Europe are liberal democracies that fully represent the will of their people, and democracy is their defining and most prominent feature. So where do you guys, uh, or where do people who are not and will never be socialists or anti-capitalists go? If anti-capitalism is an integral part of the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, how are these programs not the promotion of political ideology. And I like to say that, okay, I like to say that you guys are free to also ask questions, not just make statements or answer them. You're also free to ask questions. So Jennifer, it's so great to see you here. Um, so let's Hi, Rich. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Um, for people in this uh, meeting who don't know who I am, um, I met Rich at an event in Whittier that on the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection this year. Um, and um, I spoke on, uh, I guess, the damages that um, America has had to face since that has happened. And it could be in the form of reparations in trying to repair the capital itself or the rise in hate crimes, um, violence, death because of guns, all of the very just racist, racist rhetoric and divisive rhetoric that has come from the Republicans and the Trumpism that has kind of fueled that event. So I spoke on that event and that's kind of what brought me here today. 
And for the second question, how has how can we respect our ancestors and um, still continue to promote pro-democracy, I think was the question. So obviously religion is a very controversial topic because it, there are things um, with every religion that aren't consistent with how, our, how this country works. And like a hot topic right now, obviously, is reproductive rights. And the last, what comes to mind for me when you ask that question was, um, you know, the Texas lawsuit that has kind of come into the news lately. The people who are suing the FDA for an abortion drug, those are all religious groups. They're um, Christian Catholic groups that are trying to um, undermine the rights of women in this country. And while I do want to respect the sanctity of religion itself, um, I just, I don't think that there, it, it belongs in our judicial system and what um, determines like the rights of the people in this country. But I guess since the question is how can we respect them and still continue pro-democracy, um, I guess acknowledging that there are differences, but pre preserving the ideologies of religion, but in a place that's separate from how our country functions would probably be my best answer. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for participating and for being here and, um, you know, for supporting us. I'm going to, one thing, group I didn't, um, meeting I didn't schedule yet is we're trying to put on our January 6th thing. So um, I'll send you that and we'll do a Zoom steering committee meeting for that so that we can do it. One of the things that um, I often say is that religion was the first form of politics. And we really created two separate categories during the Enlightenment. But religion retains its, its um, political nature. It's a way of trying to make the world a better place and stuff like that. And so there, I think there is a role for public, for religion, and for religion, more religious ideas in the public sphere. So I don't know if you have any comment, comments on that. You know, like I grew up Catholic. I mm -hmm. like have been like when I was basically born until I was in 12th grade, I went to church, Catholic church every Sunday. Uh, even now, I have no animosity towards the institution of religion or church, but um, I guess where they intersect is kind of where, where they, where they intersect with politics is kind of where um, I find kind of like a sore point. But to, uh, to your point, you know, you're saying that a lot of this country has been based upon um, principles that derive from religion like going back to like ancient times like there may have been a point where that's all they knew there was no democracy then like they didn't have any system in place to rely on to give them justice to protect their rights to have people to rely on all they had was religion and so some of those ideals still exist like not not just in our country all over the world so to like say that religion itself is like not you know like it has no space in politics like 
I understand what you're saying when you when you say that a lot of you know our I guess how we function in this country going back a long time ago was based upon you know religious values so I do understand that so I guess how I see that being a cohesive like happy environment is um, just accepting that times are modernized but also just uh, preserving the fact that you know people are still looking to have that type of model or like um, even if it's not in the form of religion nowadays, they're still looking to have something to look to, to give them some type of structure in their lives. Yeah. And like in terms of moral, mor you know, moral beliefs, like in terms of like, it doesn't even have to be political in the, just in their everyday lives. Like they, I could see that, that, that is, could be a really pivotal part of, of their, how, how they live their lives. So I can talk about this for a long, long time. So, um, but I'm going to move on to the next person so that we can um, get people's questions and comments in. And um, this issue will come up probably again um, in the discussion here. So feel free to express yourself on, on this. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And feel free to um, pop yourself back in if you want to have more comments you want to make. Okay. All right, Anne, um, go ahead and um, unmute yourself there. Okay. Um, so, on, yeah, the question, the thing with religion. So, um, so on the on the front, so I came from an Orthodox Catholic background, you know, the whole everything. Um, so the uh, so I hold two um, opposing views on the subject of religion. So one is that all religions are the same. There is not one that is more of this or less of that. They all across um, across the planet, all religions are the same. And that those who have no religion have a religion, but it's just not called a religion um, because the need to have a code of, yeah, things like ethics, morality, community, you know, we all, as a human being, we, we need it. So, okay, so, so organized religion is something that, um, that 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 I, uh, the bigger the edifice, the bigger the organization, the more corrupt it is. Okay, so I don't care what anything from Hinduism to Judaism to you know I'm an equal opportunity with all. At the same time, I recognize that historically that the role. Uh, so I'm Irish, the Irish Catholic thing, that the Irish Catholic community with the Catholic Church and the Black community, from what I've learned, that. It's the same thing. The church functioned as a um, a place to hold together folks who were in a place where they were uh, abused and lost. And so the role of church was a most wonderful and necessary and did many fabulous things economically, socially, politically, spiritually. So both of those things I hold is true. What I see is that in the evolution of people's personal growth is that you have to come to a place where you identify your roots, the political, the family, the ethnicity, the everything. And then you do a deep dive and you learn everything about it. And then you become a bit militant and your view is the only view and my group is the only group and blah, 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 blah. But then the point of that is to not get stuck there. 
the whole point of doing a deep dive into um, my personal demographics is to then propel me to the next level, which is that place where I recognize the commonalities, where I recognize that that all the things that I think are unique about my tribe are not. The details of every experience based on my gender, based upon my ethnicity, based upon my personal family history, that those patterns and those experiences have all been in all the other groups. So, but if I don't do a deep dive and own my own specific stuff, then it's a false journey to jump to the kumbaya stuff. So, and as a, uh, you know, socialism is something that in my 20s, I was doing a deep dive into it. And, uh, and then I got into the middle class and, and, and pursued other kinds of stuff. But uh, I, I, I do recognize that, you know, having the comforts of middle class is uh, kind of an abomination. It's, it's an experience that isolates and alienates. And it brings up this crap about, you know, you know the old Protestant thing about uh, you deserve something because you worked for it. And the people that don't have it, you know, they don't deserve it because they're unworthy. But uh, uh, it's, uh, it's good to be here because the topics that you have identified are uh, fabulous. They're, and there are not a lot of spaces in life where we address these things, at least in the circles I travel in. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. You know, one of the things that I think we have to recognize about religion is that there's a social ethics in religion, that it's not just personal ethics. That, and I think the abortion thing proves that. It's inevitable that the sort of social ethics would come into play in religion and that religion is political and will be. And the question that I often pose is that if we make the choice between either no religion in the public sphere or um, are, are trying to exclude religion from the public sphere and say there's it shouldn't be political, that it should only be personal, then the only people who are going to be using Christianity and religion in a political way are going to be the conservative right-wing folks. And so where's the justice that kind of, you know, how many times the justice is mentioned in the Bible more than love? And so uh, that's why, and the, and the Bible is the documents of the Jewish nation. They, it, it's not a um, book of um, self-help book. It's the political document containing the debates among political leaders. So while there are personal things that a lot of churches want to go personal, personal and try to do that, I think we're heading down the wrong road because fascism can grow off of that. When religion is silent, when good people are silent, then um, then you know we're in trouble. Um, fascism can rise up. I forget what the saying actually is, and especially when we are silenced or silenced because there's an anti sort of religious propaganda. You know that's you, a you, oh, hey, sorry. Wait, wait a second, Jeffrey. Wait a second. Can you can you do you have any comments on that, Ed? Yeah, I mean, I, I I mean, I do believe that 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 religion is intensely political particularly in the world we're living in now. My personal agenda is that um, 
I struggle and I want to become fluent in being able to speak across the divide that I want to learn to be able to continue to love the person beyond and behind um, what is often hateful stuff and ignorant stuff that comes out of people's mouths. Politically, if I am not able to do that, then no matter how good my words are, they're not going to do what I want them to do because people pick up on vibes much more intensely than they do the words. And so my struggle is I have firm beliefs on a lot of things, <laughs> but like the things that I believe in, I believe in it passionately. And at the same time, I recognize that it's really important that I not hate the person who sees things differently. Because if there's ever gonna be any hope of making positive changes in this fucked up world that we are living in, I have got to be able to always go to the love of the person because words in and of themselves, they don't change people. And again, we all pick up on the vibes much more than we do the words. So I, I don't have answers on it. It's a struggle that I'm with, but to not hate, to be powerful and strong and eloquent and passionate, but to keep learning how to hold on to the humanity of that other person, that of those other groups, that's the struggle for me. Yeah, I, I I understand. I think that we've developed an inability to love, and I know that loving our enemies is not very popular on the left. And Christians don't, see, and conservative Christians don't seem to know how to love their neighbors. So, thank you, Anne. Um, feel free to come pop back up. Okay. Thank you. All right.